0: Is there a relationship between cardiovascular disease and depression? Can depression influence the treatment of other conditions such as diabetes, stroke, and cancer? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jill Warnock. Dr. Warnock is a professor of psychiatry, director of clinical research, and adjunct professor of internal medicine at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center in Tulsa. Her research interests include psychiatric disorders in women and reproductive endocrinology. Welcome to Reach MD. Thanks, Leslie. Happy to be here. Dr. Warnock, what do we know about the interplay between depression and heart disease?
1: Well, we're learning more and more all the time. We know, for example, that if someone has had a myocardial infarction or any kind of heart disease, really, and that they have a Hamilton depression scale, which is a scale that we use in psychiatry pretty regularly. If you have a ham greater than 17, then it's likely that you might meet criteria for major depression, that you have a five-fold increase for risk of cardiac death within the first six months following that MI. Five-fold? Five-fold. Wow. In fact, it's as big a risk, if not bigger than smoking, hyperlipidemia, hypertension, it's a huge, huge risk. And the reasons are that we don't really know, but you you kind of think of some of the pathophysiologic triggers uh, again, stress. If you think of any kind of stressor, you think of major depression as a stressor, or perhaps a loss of a spouse if you're older, you're more likely to suffer cardiovascular disease. So they may have that stressor, which then causes you know, a central autonomic nervous system activity, which then has some physiologic responses like increase in catecholamines, increase in heart rate, increase in blood pressure. We know then that it can, in turn, can have cardiac effects with, you know, increase in electrical instability and increased demand, and that can lead to pathological res- results with V-fib or VTAC and lead to a cardiac event. So, mm. That's how we think about these. And we've always kind of suspected stress, you know, has an impact on medical problems, but it's certainly now becoming a lot more uh, recognized and hopefully, I think, treated and assessed by primary care docs and all cardiologists, nephrologists, um, neurologists, because so many different disorders coexist. So I think that depression increases the risks, for example, of... Diabetes, for example, and diabetes in turn increases the risk for major depression. I work at Indian Health. I mean, we're here in Oklahoma. Uh, I try to tell the patient that these two disorders really are often comorbid and one each one exacerbates the other. And those studies have been really done numerous times and replicated.
0: Well, in thinking about primary care physicians and internal medicine, I know you're on the faculty of both psychiatry and internal medicine, so you have a unique perspective. But what can we help our internal medicine colleagues with this? How should they perhaps screen their patients for depression? How can we translate this into practical sort of information for them?
1: I think that's a very, very good question. I am certain that most doctors know the criteria of major depression where it's a where the criteria A, the most important one, is low mood or dysphoric mood and loss of interest, and then the other four symptoms for at least two weeks, like an appetite and weight change, sleep pattern, loss of energy or fatigue, psychomotor agitation, the stability, to think and concentrate, and so forth. What I think sometimes doctors do is... They'll think, well, of course you have a change in appetite and low energy and a change in sleep pattern because you've just had a heart attack or you've just had this diagnosis of multiple sclerosis or, or whatever. But those are kind of, I call them lumpers and splitters because they're going to take out those symptoms because they're going to blame it on the medical problem. But I would urge the doctors to think about it that if they meet criteria that these are certainly significant depressive symptoms in combination with that low mood or loss of interest, not interacting, and that leaves that patient very vulnerable for their medical condition to be worse. And so I'm a lumper, and so if they meet criteria, even if one symptom like fatigue could go both with depression and with the medical problem, I would still err on the side of don't miss a major depression, especially if they're elderly, because if you're older, and you have a hit like a medical problem plus a hit like major depression, it's like a double whammy, and you're just less resilient as you get older, and we want to keep our older folks functioning at their best. That's kind of the way I look at it. So that's kind of a long-winded response to your question. Just ask them. Sometimes older people don't admit to feeling bad, sad, or blue. Asking the significant other or their spouse if they're not enjoying things the same way as they did before, that things that they used to do, like go play bingo or walk the dog, uh, getting out um that they're not doing those things. It's surprising how many patients that I know where the only time they get out is to go see the doctor, so she gets her hair done and dresses up, and she looks real nice for that event of the week, which was go see the doctor, and the rest of the time she's just obsessing and ruminating over all of you know her husband's medical bills. And she's a caretaker, too. Let's say she's a caretaker for him. And every caregiver has a 50 percent chance of having major depression. So it's kind of taking care of the patient as well as the person who they may be caring for, especially Mm -hmm. if they're elderly.
0: So, Jill, it sounds like really the bottom line is don't assume that depression is an automatic response and a necessary response to medical illness.
1: Or just attribute it to the medical illness and miss it, I think, would be the point. It often can coexist with, say, Parkinson's disease. Think about Parkinson's disease, for example. I mean, what's missing in Parkinson's disease? I mean, they have the problems with the lack of dopamine and what is dopamine necessary for? Dopamine is necessary for reward and pleasure and enjoyment of life. And so here, if they're lacking dopamine, I think if you talk to neurologists, they'll say 50 to, you know, depending, 90%. I mean, it's almost every Parkinson's patient I've seen would meet criteria for major depression because they have no dopamine. There is no pleasure. And so there's a high comorbidity. I'm sure it's not exactly that high, but certainly at least 50%. I think the main point is to not miss it. I would just like to read one quote, if I could, that William Styron, who described his own experience with depression, William Styron was the Nobel laureate who wrote Sophie's Choice. He described his experience with depression. And when I think if people can just think about this, then you won't neglect it. He says, one does not abandon even briefly one's bed of nails, but is attached to it wherever one goes. I experienced a curious inner convulsion that I can describe only as despair beyond despair. It comes out of the cold night. I did not think such anguish possible. Wow. I know. It's
0: a great book, by the way.
1: Yeah, Darkness Visible, a memoir of madness. And I keep telling my residents, you know, it's just really a small, skinny book. You can read it and please read it before you finish your residency.
0: It's kind of depressing, though.
1: <laughs> well, in a sense it is, except for depression is so treatable, mm. if, as long as it isn't missed. There have been studies, for example, in diabetes where doctors will pick up on it 12% of the time, but they'll only treat it maybe not even half of that time. So mm-hmm. they'll pick up on it, but they don't treat it.
0: Now, speaking of diabetes, is the risk for depression the same in type 1 and type 2 diabetics?
1: You know, I'm not as certain about that literature. I do know for type 2 that work was done at Washington University with Paul Lessman there. And if you have diabetes, you will have an average of 4.2 episodes of major depression in five years.
0: Wow, so almost okay? 20. Yeah.
1: And that's been replicated. Hmm. So hmm. he did that over two five year spans and found that to be basically true. So obviously what happens if you have diabetes and you have depression, you're not going to be as compliant. You're not going to be able to eat you know, the proper food. You're not going to be able to exercise. You're not going to take your insulin properly. Um, those kinds of things. I had one patient that, that I wrote up and I think was published in our Green Journal as, as a letter to the editor because it was just so interesting. I had this one patient. She's probably in her 50s or so. She was on all sorts of insulin several times a day and several different kinds of insulin, and she was depressed. So I put her on a a medication that had a serotonergic component to it, and lo and behold, she knows how to check her her blood sugar, and it went down to 40. Hmm. And I was just scared to death, and she was delighted, believe it or not, (laughs) because her sugar was so low. So I had to increase her dose, and the same thing happened again. And so she went to an endocrinologist. And he lowered her insulin. And so what happened over time as her depression got better, her diabetes got better. And eventually, she was almost on no insulin hardly at all. I mean, the decrease was tremendous. Now, of course, that's just one case example. But once the depression was treated, and plus I think the serotonergic agents do lower glucose. So that was maybe one advantage of using those agents at that time that may have been beneficial as opposed to maybe the older antidepressants that we had, like TCA's, which maybe made people more likely to make them chubby. But it was quite remarkable. So, again, treating the depression can help the diabetes and vice versa. That's kind of the the
0: main point. And so it sounds like treating the depression can also potentially reduce the risk of diabetic complications. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Any other big ones? We've talked about heart disease, diabetes, Parkinson's irritable bowel.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Take irritable bowel, which the GI doctors see all the time. It's the most common functional GI disorder. It's about, what, 8 to 17% of the population. You know, the hallmark is this abdominal pain and discomfort. It's chronic. It waxes and wanes. And only the common cold outranks IBS as a common cause of absenteeism from work, according to Bruce Lydiard. And a significant, over 80% of those patients have a psychiatric illness oftentimes they'll have major depression or dysthymia, dysthymia being minor depression, symptoms of depression more days than not for at least uh, two years, but maybe not quite as severe. Many of them might have uh, panic or social phobia or OCD, very common. So, again, I plead to the GI folks if you can um, assess some of the psychiatric issues that may be going on for your patients. And they're not having any awareness. For some reason, I think that they have this vulnerability in the bowel when they have these psychiatric disturbances on the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So there's this increase in the stress steroids that somehow impacts their gut. And there's really a lot of the neurons and neuropeptides in the gut are the same as in the brain. So when your brain's out of balance then the gut's out of balance as well, that would be another disorder that's just ever so common and often associated with various psychiatric disorders.
0: Well, I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Jill Warnock. We have been discussing medical illness and depression. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.